I think it's very easy to get kind of narrowly focused on our, our medicine world and we forget about the rest of the military and how we fit in to that puzzle and how it all works together. Welcome to War Dogs, the military medicine podcast. This show brings you a firsthand, behind-the-scenes look into the mission, unique opportunities, and deployed experiences of the entire military healthcare team. From state-of-the-art hospitals in the United States to the most austere environments across the globe, War Docs has you covered. Welcome to this special edition of War Docs podcast, Behind the Uniform, honoring military medical spouses. We delve into the untold stories and immense significance of those who stand unwaveringly alongside our heroic military healthcare providers. Join us as we explore the unique challenges, sacrifices, and indomitable strength of military medical spouses, shedding light on their vital role in supporting our armed forces and caring for our nation's warriors. I'm your host, Dr. Doug Soderdahl, retired Army urologist. Welcome to War Docs. Today, we're very honored to celebrate the military medical spouse. We have Sue Clark, a mother of three children who are all out of the house and military medical spouse for many years, married to one of our board of directors, actually our chairman, Major General Retired Jeff Clark. We also have Melinda Stalkel, mother of three children. Two are currently in college and one is gonna be a senior in high school. And she is married to another military medicine physician, Colonel Mark Stackel. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Great. Thank you for having us. I'm also joined by my co-host, Kim Causey. She's mother of four children, age seven to 16, and has been a military medical spouse for over 20 years. And she is married to my co-host, Wayne Causey, who's an active duty vascular surgeon. Thanks for joining me as a co-host. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. Let's start the conversation by asking Sue, tell us how you and Jeff met. We met at the Winger King in Greenville, North Carolina. We were both attending East Carolina University. I was in the School of Nursing and he was in graduate school. And that was many, many, many years ago. And so was that love at first sight? No, actually, I, I really liked him. And we were, we were friends for quite some time before we actually started dating. And but pretty soon after that, I knew it was the right one. So, yeah. Awesome. How about you, Melinda? How did you and Mark meet? We met in college. We were at Gonzaga University over in Washington State. He was the student body president, and I at the time was working in the admissions office, um, and I would set up tours and interviews for potential students. So because of our jobs, we ended up at a university event one evening together, and that's where we kind of met and started getting to know each other. And The rest is history. The rest is history, as they say. Sue, I'll start with you. Did either of you have any prior exposure to the military? Absolutely none. I grew up on the backside of what is now called Fort Liberty on the training side. And we used to hear planes from Pope Air Force Base overhead, but that was as close as I got to the military. How about you, Melinda? Any prior experience or exposure to the military? Not really much exposure. I did have both of my grandparents. My grandfathers served in World War II, so that was always kind of there. One of them had passed away, though, before I was born. So I didn't know him and never got a chance to hear any of his stories or experiences. My other grandfather had been in the Navy for a short while, and he didn't really talk to us about his experiences or what that was like, but it was always kind of there. And he was very interested in military history. He'd like to take us to the old forts in Washington State and show us the armor and the battlements. But not really. I had an uncle who served in Vietnam. And so, but he was the last male on my mom's side to carry on the family name. So he wasn't sent to the war, but he was actually stationed in Germany. So he had lots of fun stories from his time in Germany um, as a young soldier. But that was really the only exposure I had was through their stories. So for both of you, military life was something that pretty much was completely new. And it was a new adventure. I'll go back to you, Sue. What did you find was the most difficult assignment that you and Jeff had and why? I would have to say battalion command because we did it overseas, away from family. It was, I think, a, a transition from being in clinical practice to something that was more operational. 
and Jeff had units all over the Korean Peninsula, so he was traveling quite a bit away from home. We had three young children, and as I said, we were overseas in the military community. So I think for both of us, that just that transition from medical war to operational was a significant change, and it made it more difficult for sure. How about you, Melinda? What, what did you find was the most difficult or challenging assignment that, that you and Mark had? I'm going to echo what Sue said on that because we, as the, in the clinical side, we spend so much time in the hospital. And although we are military medicine or our spouses are military medicine physicians, I think that we often identify much more with the medical side of that, especially when you're working in the hospitals or the clinics. And the military side is much less emphasized, at least in my experience. So as Sue said, when we went to the operational side for a job, it was a challenge because I was not used to the military aspect of of this life and what that meant and the implications for our family and for my, my husband and his job. So I definitely think that is hard in a good way, but it was definitely something that was different and a challenge. So could you explain a little bit about what you mean by the operational, how is that different from being in the hospital? So now you're in what we would call an MTO unit, some a unit that deploys not just in a fixed facility. What what difference did you see in the home? Well, I'm not sure we saw that much difference in the home per se, because military or any kind of medicine is long demanding hours. And that was that's true as well on the operational side, but it was just so much time away from the community. I mean, he was not just out of the house, but he was away from us and didn't come home at night. And I guess there's a different kind of responsibility. I mean, for us, we were overseas, so I felt a certain amount of responsibility for the spouses that were at least in our community. And I think that the medicine side prepares you for military because of the, the times away from home. I would say there are a lot of military customs and traditions that we aren't exposed to on the clinical side. And so then when you go on to into an operational position, you are exposed to those experiences and are expected to know a little bit more about military customs and traditions. I'll call it the regular military, for lack of a better way to describe it. It's very, it's very much like a pyramid. And you have the upper echelon, and then you have those that fall in. And you learn very early when you're in operational, they're brought into the fold. Young spouses are brought into the fold, and in a good way. It's almost like they're taught or shown that this is the expectation. And I don't think you do that as much in military medicine. It, for one reason, it's not the same hierarchy. It's a little bit different, but I think it was advantageous for me, young in in Jeff's career, that I was able to be around senior military spouses who would show me, okay, this is how you want your, your families to feel and function. And I appreciated that knowledge, quite honestly, and I'm glad I had it early in the career because I could see Okay, as we went along, oh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I can see why you want to learn when you're a, a captain as opposed to when you're a lieutenant colonel. It's just, it's just easier. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. So now that we have heard about your challenging assignments and you have lived through them, is there any advice that you could give? You need to find your support group wherever you are. And that can be neighbors. That can be a spouse club, that can be your church, that can be friends, it can be family, wherever it is, because somebody in the military is either has experienced what you're experienced or is going through it at the same time. And especially like during deployments, it's so critical to, to, to have a sounding board, to have somebody that you can rely on to pick up kids if they get sick from the school and the school can't get in touch with you. And military, people are so easy to make friends and so easy to rely on and you have to find them and it makes life so much easier if you do. So Melinda, I think it's interesting that Sue was saying that on the operational side, it seems like 
the spouses play a bigger role in the command, in that structure. And so as a company-grade officer, you kind of understand the expectations and, and what's going on. Let's say now you're married to a colonel, full bird colonel, but you got a, a captain's wife or a captain's husband coming to you and they're basically in the hospital, not in the operational world. What advice would you give to them about how to cope with what's ahead and, and what they should expect? I think it's important. So one, I would say our spouses need to start empowering themselves find out what you can about the military and and your unit. And I'm not saying you need to go do these deep dives on the internet, but get to know the people around you, get to know other spouses and other families. And I think it's very easy to get kind of narrowly focused on our, our medicine world. And we forget about the rest of the military and how we fit in to that puzzle and how it all works together. So I think one way is trying to gain a deeper understanding of, of the military and how it all fits together. And part of that is asking questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions, whether it's a senior spouse or the community resource center or the family resource center, whatever it is on your, your post. Don't be afraid to ask questions. People love sharing. I mean, anyone who doesn't love to share their advice or their experiences or tell you everything they know about a topic. So don't be afraid to ask questions and put yourself out there and, and get involved. And it doesn't have to be involved in the military. Whatever your interest is, find your, your passion. If it's a running club or a book club or a, a wine club or playdates at the park, find your people, like Sue said, get involved. I love that. That's great advice. Sue, can you tell us one of your favorite stories from a memorable assignment? Well, 35 years of memorable assignments, and we moved approximately 20 times, probably a little more than 20 times. So that's kind of like saying, who is your favorite child? So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to specify one, but I will tell you two short stories. One is more family-oriented, and it happened a long time ago, and one that's more recent. And it's more on the professional side of things. And I'll start with that one. Jeff had the privilege of commanding Lonsdale Regional Medical Center. And this was back pretty much at the height of the war. Lots of critically wounded, injured were coming into the hospital regularly. And we decided that we wanted to check in with the staff. And so we started a, a regular routine of visiting the different units, the different wards of the hospital every Sunday afternoon. And it was just to talk to the staff and see how they were doing and just get to know a little bit about them, see how they were doing, checking in. And it got to be a regular routine and something that we certainly enjoyed. And I hope that it was beneficial to some of the young soldiers and airmen. I mean, the medics and the corpsmen were the age of our children, some of them. So it was, it was really nice for us to be around those young people because our kids were all out of the house. And we out, continued that tradition when he was the director of Walter Reed. And same kind of situation, a lot of injured service members. And just getting to, to talk to those that were taking care of them was, was quite an honor and, and a, very rewarding to, for Jeff and I. And I'm, I'm the spouse. I, I have no connection, but I, I was able to go in and talk to him, and, and it was really special to me. And back in the early years, it was kind of scary at the time, but I cherish this memory. After Jeff's first assignment in Korea, after he was a resident, we flew. We were able to leave about a month early from Korea because I was quite pregnant. And we got back to the, the East Coast and do what all military families do, and that's visit family members and sort of think about where we're going to find a house and take some leave before he started his assignment. And we were, had a three-year-old at the time. And so we were traveling to a pretty good distance. So we had to stay in a hotel overnight. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I was in labor. And we were just in a small town in Southwest Georgia, I guess. And we were lucky to find a, find, find a hospital relatively close. And they determined that, yes, I was in labor and that I was going to have the child there. Long way from my family, long way from our vacation site. 
And um, anyway, delivered my son. He was he was a few weeks early, but it's a small world when they decided that he needed to go in the NICU for just a little bit for assistance breathing. And that neonatologist walked in our, in my room, and as it turns out, he was prior Air Force, and he had actually gone to Jeff's residence, residency site and given a talk about neonatology. And we were thousands of miles away. He had gotten out of the service and there, there he was taking care of my kid. And also we had to stay for a few days and there was a little Marine Corps base that was close by. So we were able to stay there and for the cost of half of what it was in a hotel. So no matter where you go in the world, you can always find your people as we say. Hey, and we were well taken care of. And now he's grown and healthy and, and doing well. But um, like I said, it was it was scary at the time, but it's it's just what you do. I mean, you just you don't even think about getting off the plane and going to visit family and going on vacation and and just doing the things you do. Because but those are my, my two short stories. So, Melinda, unless you want to tell us who your favorite child is, tell us about your favorite story from your career. Just one that always still makes us chuckle. And my son, who is now 19, we had at the time, it was my, my husband's first deployment. And so we had moved back home near family. And we were about 45 minutes from Joint Base Lewis McCord. But we lived near my family and in a civilian community. And so my son was about, he was four or five at the time. And he made friends with the little neighbor boy who had no connection to the military. And so at the time, this was the fourth house my son had lived in at that time, three states and foreign country. So anyway, they're sitting at our table one day, he and this little neighbor boy, and my son asks him, well, after you were born, where did you live? And the little neighbor boy says, well, right here. And my son says, no, I mean, like, after you were born in the hospital, and then your mom brought you home, and where did you go? And the little boy says, right here. And he's looking at my son like, is this a, a trick question? <laughs> my son is getting very frustrated with it. And, and no, I mean, you were born in the hospital and then you had to go somewhere and then you moved here. And I had to pull my son aside and said, some people are born in the hospital and then when their parents bring them home and then they stay in that house for many, many years and they don't ever, they don't move and, and leave again. But that was such a foreign concept to my son, even at the age of five that we still still laugh about it now. And but, but where were you born? And where did your mom bring you? So, and I think it just speaks to the resiliency of, of children. And they just, he didn't know any different or know any, any differently and couldn't understand why, why this neighbor boy would only live in one house for five years. Right, that's great. So deployments can be a time of great stress on a family. Times of those deployments can range from half a year to over a year when going into combat zones. Sue, can you describe some unique challenges or concerns you've faced when your spouse deploys to a war zone and how do you cope with them? Certainly, my job was, was being a single parent, but you also have that little thing also that your spouse is in harm's way and that never leaves your mind. But I also know that my job is to be the buffer. I needed to manage the house so that Jeff could stay totally focused on the mission. He did not need to be concerned about what was going on back home. That was my job. That was my responsibility. And not that I was keeping anything from him, but I just didn't want him to have to be worrying about what was going on at that point. But you always stay in touch. I mean, that's, I was just telling my, my daughter-in-law who has just finished medical school and is going to start her residency in a few weeks. And I told her that when, when Jeff deployed the first time, it was Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And he got, we got called in the middle of the night and he left and he was with the first wave that went. And in the meantime, we didn't talk for probably six weeks. And that was no email, no FaceTime, no cell phones. It was old-fashioned letters. And every letter that I would write would be, in case I haven't talked to you yet, we're going to have another baby. Yeah, and now that I think about it, I can't remember if we, I actually talked to him on the phone after a period of time and actually told him over the phone. But he got several letters that said, 
guess what? We're having the third. So yeah, you just you just have to take everything on and 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 do it yourself. And and then in the end, things don't go back instantly, but it's a gradual integration. And we've been very fortunate that it with time everything gets back to normal within a period of time. So Melinda, this is not unique to a military medicine spouse, but it is fairly unique to a military spouse in that when your spouse gets sent somewhere in the world to a dangerous place and the communication is not great and you're left at home with children, with the family, wondering what could possibly be going on and not getting the information that you really would want. How do you prepare for that? And what advice would you give to somebody who has not gone through that before of what, what can you do to help? Well, I will say, thankfully, that the communication is 100,000 times better than it was even 20 years ago when, when Mark deployed the first time. And we didn't talk for several weeks. And you never knew when the phone call was coming. You know, we were still tied to landlines. So as the weeks wore on, you kind of were afraid to leave the house because you might miss the one call. So with communication being what it is now, it sure lightens that load and just makes things easier knowing that you can touch base so much more frequently. I almost feel like deployments are almost like having a baby where it's something that was coming, but how do you prepare? Because you really just don't know what it's going to be like until you're in the situation. I think acknowledging that it's going to be hard and trying to put systems in place before that they leave, depending on what your family situation is. If you have young children, can you find a babysitter or a childcare center where you, where you can get a break? Or are you going to need help in the house? What, what are your needs going to be? And maybe you don't have children yet. So maybe you want to find a job. I, I always find distractions to be very helpful for me. So how can you distract yourself, especially if you don't have young children at home? When my children, the second time my husband deployed, my children were in high school and middle school. So I had these days completely to myself. So I, I went back to school. And as it was something I'd wanted to do, but also a distraction to keep me busy. So you're not dwelling on the fact that they're gone. And it's hard to imagine what their life is like on deployments, not ever having been there. And, and I'm a very visual person. So gosh, you can conjure up a whole lot of images of, of what's going on, which may or may not be true. So distracting oneself so you're not dwelling on those things. And and just really finding a good support group, which we've just said several times that it's just important in many times, but especially during deployments. And I just found that other military spouses who had gone through deployments or were currently going through deployments were, I don't want to say the most supportive because civilians were family and, and friends were incredibly helpful at that time also. But no one understands what you're going through like another military spouse who has gone through it. and I'm going to surprise my co-host, and I'm going to throw the same question over to Kim. Wayne was recently deployed. You were at home with four kids. What were some coping strategies that you found helpful? Yes, we have had two deployments. This was our second. This was a lot different than the first because all of the children were in school. I stayed busy with Bible study two days a week and tried to volunteer where I could get together with friends. And we have also have lived here for quite a few years. So I felt plugged into the community, which was a huge help. So one of the things that you mentioned, Melinda, is that communications have really improved. I remember first time I deployed, we got a chance to use the phone maybe once a week. And I was making videotapes for my kids, reading them bedtime stories so they'd have something to remember me by. But I was thinking about how the communication can go both ways because my most recent deployment, we had internet, we had kind of FaceTime type stuff, but I was at a place that would get shelled all the time. And so I'm talking to my kids and things are blowing up 
and I've got to get under the desk and get to somewhere safe. How how would you deal with that as a spouse? And your kids are watching the spouse on the on the FaceTime have to cut out and just run to safety. I don't even know how to answer that, Doug. I I don't know. I guess I, I don't know how how you how you would deal with that. It's one of those things that it's just a, a thing that you don't really think about it if you've never experienced that. And how do you deal with that? How do you talk to a seven-year-old who is watching their dad have to run because there's explosions that are right next to the hospital or right next to the tent that they're in? And so these are the, some of the sacrifices that that military spouses go through that we're we're trying to highlight here a little bit. And one of the things that I always found coming back from deployment was reintegration wasn't always that smooth because my wife had things completely dialed in and I wasn't necessarily a part of that because I was gone. And now I come back. How do you, how do you reintegrate seamlessly? What are some advice for that? We'll we'll go to Sue. I don't think seamless is a is a good word to use. I think it's a process and I think it just takes time. And I know it's very difficult for the service member to come back because you're absolutely right. The house is running along. It's been a year and and we figured out how to manage on our own. But I think it's it's something that has to be done slowly. And I think it's something that baby steps one-on-one with each child, one-on-one with your spouse talking about things. I know for a lot of people, it's hard to talk about what they saw and experienced, but I think slowly and gradually, those things need to come out. And it doesn't happen the first day, the first week, or even the first month. And it seems like I remember somewhere along the way, I heard you should you should allow time for time. So if you're gone for a year, it's almost a year before things are really back to where they were. And and these four service members that go repeatedly, that's even more of a challenge because you hardly have recovered with your family. But I, I don't know that there's one magic thing that will make it all all back to normal because I don't think it'll ever go back to normal, what, whatever that looks like. But I think it's just moving forward and you have to move forward together. What, what do you think, Melinda, about that, that reintegration after Mark's been gone for several months up to a year? You've been taking care of the home front, and now all of a sudden, you got another kid that's home. And that's almost exactly what it was like. All of a sudden, I had another being to consider and take care of because we had, especially the first deployment, was 15 months. And my children were very young, so they were at home. So we had our routines, and I made all the decisions, and I didn't have to consult with anyone about anything right? And it was all me, which is, is hard. It's difficult. But yeah, then you have this another being who shows up and, and you're supposed to all of a sudden share all this responsibility. And, and, and it's hard, right, to, to accept that and give that to someone else also. And so it definitely was time. It definitely took time. There was no, unfortunately, at the time, not a lot of preparation or anything directed towards spouses on what it would look like when the service members came home. And so I wasn't really thinking about what that would look like. But Mark said that the chaplain had sat them all down before they came home and and talked to them and gave them some things to look for and some tips on how to reintegrate. And so he was very good about, he actually called me before they came home and said, okay, this is what the chaplain said we need to work on. I'm not going to discipline the kids this, that, and the other, which were things I hadn't thought of just because we hadn't been through it before. So I was grateful on that side that they had had a little bit of prep and he had brought that to my attention. But it really just is something like Sue said that just took time and and it's not, you. Bring, but the family has changed. They're gone when they're gone for such a long time and the, the kids have changed and grown, especially when they're that young. Right. And so, and their needs have changed and everyone has changed. So, how do we all interact and function? And it, it's not easy, but it, it's, it's doable. Right. And it's that commitment to one another and your marriage and the family that, that makes it all work in the end. 
So how can we as a military better support our spouses and families in military medicine? We'll start with Sue. Well, I will say that things have evolved. I can remember Jeff's first deployment many, many years ago. And as I said, that he left in the, in the dead of night. And I can remember his, his commander's spouse. I mean, she had a deer in the headlights look because she had no preparation at all. And I think that, like I said, that was a long time ago, but, but taking advantages, I think that we've mentioned, ACS has lots of programs. A lot of them are online, just going in and, and talking to someone there, taking advantage. When you, when your spouse goes to pre-command course, do those, do those with the, your spouse because there's information there. I have no orders. I am not required to do any of those things. I'm not the active duty person, but my commitment is to my husband. And so I want to do everything I can to make his experience in the military to be positive. And that ripples down to the people that work for him or, or work with him. So anytime you can take advantage of educational opportunities within that the military provides, I would certainly encourage that. And also on a more social level, get together with the people that, that the spouses that your service member works with, bring those people together, getting to know them, sharing experiences so that when something does happen, you can call the next person, whatever that might look like. It's so much easier when there's somebody that you can rely on. I don't know, Belinda, maybe you can build on that a little bit. No, I think you're absolutely right. One is the connections, making connections with one another from the very beginning in the unit and then with any other military members, you can. But I think also on the military side, we need to be educating our spouses, intentionally educating them as they do. We often see that on the operational side and we're working that way on the the medicine side, but empowering and educating our spouses on what the military side looks like and what do deployments look like and what does life in the military look like and what do all these acronyms mean and if you need support or you have a question where do we find answers where are the resources so i think we could be a little more intentional especially with our our young young families and junior spouses on day 1 as they come in especially on the military or the medical side they usually all start in the summer right so we can start some programs Target it, target our spouses, and what, what do you need to know as a military spouse? And I think the more that we do that, it's, it becomes easier. And well, first of all, our spouses are, are now tied in, right? Because they, they feel a buy in because they, and they understand what's going on in their spouse's life. So it makes it easier for them to support and be understanding and kind of all in in this military life. Can I add something to that as well? A program that was at Walter Reed, and this was started when Walter Reed was was run by the Navy, and they have an Oakleaf Club, and it's I guess it resembles an auxiliary. And every year, when the when the new residents come in and active duty members are having their programs, their orientations, we took a half a day and invited the spouses to come in, get just a just a primer on what it's like to be in the military. I mean, it's, you can't learn it all in a half a day, but we, we provided childcare, we had lunch, and it was just an opportunity for those new spouses to meet each other. And as it turned out, some of those spouses went on to be in leadership positions of, for the Oak Leaf Club. So it was, it, was, it was a win for a lot of people. And I would encourage some other auxiliaries or organizations that are associated with military center, medical centers to try something like that because it's, it was a minimal amount of effort, but I think it reaped many rewards. So the role of the military spouse has changed in the last 50 years, but it hasn't changed that much. And we've kind of already talked about the operational side. It's pretty well defined what the expectations are but it's kind of the Wild West a little bit in medicine, especially at the junior ranks. When you're the spouse of a resident or you're the spouse of a junior staff member who may be a captain or a major, or you're the spouse 
of an E5, E6 in a clinic, what what is your responsibility and how do you make an impact as a military spouse in those situations? I think it's easier when you're the 06 commander or two-star commander, everyone knows, hey, that spouse has got to be dialed in with all these things. But what about the juniors? It's still leadership. It's still, I mean, they, they are answering to someone and that someone may or may not have a spouse, but I would really challenge those leaders to recognize not just the spouses, but like you say, the service member. And one of the ways to do it is social situations. That would be my challenge to senior spouses and senior military leaders to to reach down and invite those people to your homes. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It can be a potluck, but it's a chance. Oh, yeah, this is a person. This is a person that I can talk to. And it looks daunting, but it's, I think it's so important to reach down on a personal level, wherever. And if you do it at the senior level, hopefully the next level down will do it and it sort of ripples down. That would be my vision of a perfect world. It doesn't always happen, but I would, that would be my challenge to some of the leadership out there. Agreed. And I would add for the junior spouses, say yes, say yes to everything, all the invitations. When a senior spouse or your next door neighbor asks you to coffee, slip on your flip-flops and go. Gone are the days where we need our pearls and, and white gloves. Just It's enough to show up. And if you receive a more formal invitation for a social group or, or an event, and even if you don't really know what it is, go. You won't know until you go or ask someone, what is this? And show up for things. Just say yes. Give everything a chance at least once. It's easy to say, well, that's not my thing or those aren't my people. But if you don't go, you'll never know that. And I think more often than not, you'll be surprised. Maybe there's just one person you meet there, right? But they'll become your battle buddy for the next 20 years. So I would say, yeah, say yes and and show up. Okay. So what can spouses do to advocate for themselves to ensure their experience as a military family member is positive? I've been doing this a long time and it's easy for me to say, you can make an appointment and go meet a commander. Like you say, you can go to ACS and get every flyer they have. You can talk to your next door neighbor, especially if you're living on post, because as Melinda has said, somebody has had the experience, or they can point you to the person that who's had the experience. And I think you just have to keep talking and asking. And I know that's easier said than done. And I, I know that it can be intimidating, but that's us. I mean, that's that's if we if we don't advocate for ourselves, nobody's going to do it for us. Generally speaking, so just keep pushing. <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question very well, but Linda, maybe you can have some finer points to this. No, I think you're absolutely right. You ask questions and you and you reach out. And I think now, I mean, we're so blessed like with the internet and social media, right? It's so easy. I mean, I've, I don't know a single installation now that doesn't have a spouse's page, right? So you can put anything and you can even post anonymously and ask a question. So no one knows. You think, oh, I should know this, but I don't post anonymously, right? And I guarantee you, someone is going to respond, right? I think we make this mistake often that no one else has ever been in our situation or had this experience. But I guarantee you, you're not the first to go through whatever it is you're going through or whatever question you have. So ask, put yourself out there and ask the question. I know it's hard, but it gets easier. 20, 20 plus years in, it gets easier to ask the questions. And admit, I have no idea what's going on. So one of the things in, in my career, being in military medicine, I didn't have trouble figuring out what I was going to wear every day because it was the same uniform. The Army would tell me when it was time to leave a job, and then they would pay for my move, and then I would show up and I'd have a job waiting for me at my next duty station. That's a lot different for a military medicine spouse or even a military spouse. You may not want to leave your job at a certain location at the same time that the Army, Navy, or Air Force is telling your spouse to leave. And 
your job at the next duty station is not there waiting for you with open arms saying, hey, come on in. How do you deal with that as a spouse with a career or other things that you want to get done? That's a good question. I was a stay-at-home mom for 18 years. um, So I didn't really have to deal with And that was by choice. That was a choice that my husband and I made together. We also moved quite frequently for medical. You generally doesn't move quite as often as we have usually every two years. And so that was the choice I made to be with our kids. And to me, it was a mental game, right? If I knew I was only going to be here for two years, I could put it in the box and meet as many people as we could and have as many experiences as we could. But I knew that there was an end date. And, and then I would kind of move on. I would compartmentalize and then move on to the next one. My husband was always really great about finding out interesting information or fun facts about where we were going and would come home and make it a big deal at dinner for the whole family. Like, oh, look at this new place. And isn't this going to be exciting? And we're going to do this and that and, and experience these things. One would make it talk, really talk things up and make it kind of exciting for the kids and the family. And And personally, I enjoy traveling and exploring new places and meeting new people. So although it's always hard to say goodbye to those we're leaving behind, and definitely there would be sadness in kind of closing out relationships or activities or organizations we'd been involved with. There was always a bit of excitement and kind of looking ahead and and what it's going to be. And and it's always kind of a fun opportunity to, to kind of reinvent yourself wherever you go. Like if you're at a time you know, a season in your life, something isn't working for me or we're involved, our kids are involved in 18 million activities and I just can't take it anymore, right? You can, you can start over, push the restart button wherever you go and decide what your focus is going to be. So I always kind of looked at it as an opportunity, whether it was to restart or make new relationships or explore a new part of the world. So Sue, you mentioned that that you were training to become a nurse when, when you met Jeff. So how was being a military medicine spouse, how did that impact your nursing career? Well, it was difficult. And with nursing, you have to be licensed. And if you move every two years, you have to, and you might not know where you're going until the last minute. I worked for a little while after we had kids, but then I pretty much, as a family decision, stayed home. Not only the, the military part, but the medical part required Jeff to be away a lot. He was not the most reliable support for e- even picking up kids from childcare. So for our family, the best situation was for me to stay home. I, I think I volunteered for just about every organization that's out there. But as a volunteer, you can also say, sorry, I can't be there. I have a sick kid. You can't really do that when you're a paid employee. But it is not perfect. I will say the life of a military spouse, working spouse, it's very challenging. And I love hearing about companies that will let spouses work remotely, that the job is transferable, doesn't always work perfectly. And I'm always amazed at that. The women, men, sorry, that was that was a faux pas, who can keep a consistent profession through 20 years. It's it's a challenge, but but people do do it and they should be commended. And I think the army is making efforts as well, not the army, but the Department of Defense. And if you look at the um statistics, the military is of is a family business. I think that something like more than 70% of those on active duty have a family member that was on active duty. So they must be doing something right and they need to continue because the pool will get smaller eventually if that continues. But you need to keep, I don't want to say the family members happy, but you need to to make opportunities for them so that they'll want to stay. They'll want to stay for 20 years. They'll want to stay beyond 20 years. They'll want to encourage their children as this is a profession. So it behooves the Department of Defense to be as supportive of of spouses as they can be. Can I add to that too? I've also seen in recent years with social media that that has been a huge help for spouses looking for jobs or transferring from one place to another because you can ask 
the wider community, hey, I'm coming and I'm a nurse or I'm XYZ, which, which companies are hiring military spouses or hiring in this, in this job? Because I think it's difficult if you have a career to have to restart every time. And it can take a long time. The internet has helped greatly in that. But just the job search, sometimes it's so much easier when your, your boots are on the ground to start networking and looking. But if you can ask ahead with social media or ask spouses who are already there and get a kind of a step up and a lead in before you get there, I think that has helped tremendously. So Kim, you, you have an advanced degree. Tell us about your journey with the career and also being a military medicine spouse. Well, I was able to get a master's degree. I started it when my husband was finishing the last year of his college and then finished it the first six months of his medical school from different states. And then it was challenging to find employment where we were living. And I worked until my husband graduated from medical school and was able to get us on his health insurance. And then we made the choice to have me stay home with our baby. And that has been the choice that we've made for our family, that it works best to have me stay home and be the flexible parent who is always available for them. So it's funny, Sue, when you, you equated the spouse with a woman and you said that was a faux pas, and 50 years ago, that was the rule. I mean, really, it was a male-predominant profession, and you had husbands at work and wives at home. And that's changed a lot till today, where we probably, I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but they're certainly far different from what they were 50 years ago. Are there any specific challenges being a male or female spouse today, even in military medicine or just the military? And, and I'll, I'll explain that because I guess when, when I was back in training in the ice ages, I'd go to events and I felt sorry sometimes for the stay-at-home dads who didn't have really anybody. They were a unicorn out there. Has that changed today? I think that has changed. I am certainly a female spouse, so I don't have direct experience, even though I wasn't around 50 years ago, but I was almost that long ago. And I can remember being somewhere, and I don't even know where it was, and some of the senior spouses were just amazed because there was a male spouse who was interested in participating in I don't remember if it was the Spouse Club or FRG or what it was, but they were just taken aback that this was a thing. And like I said, that was a long time ago. And I think it has evolved. I, I like to think that we have. It's still easy to, to slip a little bit because spouses, and I don't know what the statistics are, but, but certainly in the medical side of things, there are a lot more female service members so I like to think that it's has is better, and I've had wonderful male spouses who've been invo involved in programs I've been involved with, as, and they were great volunteers. But I don't know for sure that they would agree that it's better or improving. I would have you would have to ask them to be perfectly honest. And Melinda, maybe you have, maybe you have more insight. No, just, I mean, I agree, even from the, in the 20 years that we've been in, the landscape has definitely shifted. And I think it's wonderful. And I see more and more of the male spouses showing up to events. Um, but it's interesting because they definitely want to be connected. I mean, we're all human. So we, we want to be connected with others in some fashion. So they, they definitely seem to want those connections. But I think just as males and females are different, they connect in different ways. So I'm not sure that we've gotten to that point. There's not really a platform for them, for male spouses that I have seen. And from what I've heard from them, they don't, aren't really sure how to make that happen yet. So I'm hoping that in the near future, we'll see. I think what it's going to take is probably one of the male spouses to kind of spearhead some sort of programming somewhere that we can start getting them together. The ones, the male spouses I've met seem to really embrace 
kind of the stay-at-home dad or the stay-at-home spouse and they they thrive and they bring a lot to our discussions and the table and they have a lot very diverse so it's really fun to see them get involved and I think we just have to continue making an effort to make them feel welcomed. So Melinda, what has been your favorite part of being a spouse of a military healthcare professional? My favorite part, again, it's like choosing the one which which is my favorite child. I absolutely love people and I love exploring new places. So I think being in the military has provided ample opportunities to explore not just other states, but other countries. We've lived overseas several times. So we've really enjoyed experiencing new cultures and exploring new places. And then hands down the people we've met along the way, both inside the military and, and local communities also those relationships that have been formed and the people we've met for sure. And how about you, Sue? I would have to agree with all of that. So many great opportunities. Traveling, meeting people, living in different places, opportunities that my kids have had. It was good enough that two of my three kids are associated with the military now. So it's wonderful the things that are available to you, you just have to take advantage of them. And as Melinda said, you meet great people and frequently you'll circle back somewhere and meet them again in another location. So it's, it's, it's a great life. And it was very sad for Jeff and I both when, when he retired and had to decide where we wanted to live forever. It was a big step. Well, we've been speaking with Melinda Stackle and Sue Clark on Wardock's podcast, and we've been celebrating the contributions and appreciating the importance and the important role that military medical spouses play. The military health system could not exist if we didn't have the support of the families that are behind the service members 100%. And so I want to thank you both for being on the show and, and thank you for sharing your insights and lessons learned and providing some advice for folks who are in that role in the future. So thanks again for for being on War Docs. Thank you so much, Doug and Kim, for having us. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to War Docs. We sure hope you enjoyed it. War Docs is a nonprofit organization supported by donations from listeners like you. Please follow and subscribe to our show on whatever platform you consume your podcast and rate and review this episode and share the show with your contacts on social media. Find out more information about our show, our guests, and how to become a member of Team Wardocs on wardocspodcast.com. Thank you for your support. If you like war stories and medical drama, Wardocs has you covered. Spread the word.